These woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. This is MDLP. Welcome to the Battle Axe Podcast. Well, I should say welcome back, episode eight that we're going to run today and I have my lovely co-host, John. Introduce yourself, my brother. What's up? Happy to be here. Absolutely. Beard Strong co-host as well and a BV villain, BV305. Shout out to my family. And HGAB that's here and allowing us to use their facility so we can hear our thoughts with these microphones. So if you actually hear everything in my life, well, it's happening. These <laughs> things are for real. <laughs> this is... Uh... This is nicer than anything we've ever yes. possessed. <laughs> uh, just be ready for a lot of lip smacking <laughs> because it literally, I, I can't even lick my teeth without this shit hearing. So I've never been around these kind of microphones. John, this is serious. This is a, this is a high end. This is, this is, yeah, this is the real deal. So um, this is welcome back episode. I guess we've, we've haven't done an episode in quite a bit. I think our last one was with Stu McGill, which was awesome. What a closer. Right? I mean, Stu McGill, Dave Tate, and Brian Carroll, within seven episodes, I was just talking about it at a local bar around the corner, pre-gaming for this podcast. And I'm actually really excited to come back with John. I think John has always been a good person to centralize and bring down my energy as sometimes I get real chatty and his experience as well as his perspective. And I was thinking about this the other day, John. Um... It comes, it comes a time where when you're competing and you're coaching, you get you kind of lose touch with the blue-collar lifter. And I'm not taking anything away from you. Yeah. I'm actually giving you the concept that your perspective, when we talk a lot about training, is, is, is genuine. It's not really flooded with bullshit because when you start getting really good at something or you're like a coach or you're a competitor, you're already kind of in that, that cusp. You're a guy that loves to train, loves the process, is humbled enough to ask for questions is humble enough to learn which is so hard at a certain level and your perspective when we have a conversation is 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 fulfilling to me and that's i think my favorite part of of coaching is to continue that going so to do on top of that uh, it's not even blowing smoke it's something i i was thinking about on one of my drives and that's why we did this q a episode we did one in episode five which i thought was really cool and we were say we're going to do it every five but I thought our comeback episode, if you want to call it that at all, or just continuation, would be really cool. We had a kind of a lot of questions drop on the comments. We had some emails and DMs. And um, what we're going to do today and the pace we're going to take is John's going to read the questions. He's going to have his input and his lovely voice reading that. Um, and we're about to, we're going to go live for a little while like we, like we said we would. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to just try to hammer out these questions as raw as possible like we did on the last uh, Q&A episode. I did not research this like crazy. I did not go into Googling every single one of them and just like, I kind of wanted to get an honest, genuine response. If I don't know something, I wanted it to be like that. If I make a mistake and it just sounds stupid, cool. Because I actually listened to the episode five and I'm like, ugh, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ugh, I wouldn't have said that now. But you know what? That's what makes it pure because the real answer is what should come out. If you were to ask me this at the Battle Axe, this is what I would say. Not, no. you know, if I really don't know, I'd tell you, hey, John, I don't know. And then we'd go ahead and answer a bunch of other ones. I think that's something that's been one of your uh, better talents is the admission of, I don't know. Um, 
but also a little kudos to you for being able to uh, get that lineup for <laughs> for podcasts and right? just banging them in a row. And then to close with McGill, whose information, I think uh, that's an episode to me that I've listened to as a as a non-competitive lifter just the value of information that was on that podcast i've listened to that podcast three or four times well you know what i appreciate you because honestly (laughs) me too um and i i actually said it quite a bit i hate listening to my podcast (laughs) Uh, and i made the same joke about larry king about he does the same thing i'm like man i want to reuse that joke but i especially I mean, obviously, I had a couple of relapses uh, in my spine and stuff, but I think the McGill one was one of the most honest ones, both on our part, especially mine, because I was cheesing a lot, and I tried yeah. not to, and oh, but God. I was like, fuck it, I'm cheesing. And his honesty, and like going that approach with his, I don't like, I didn't even want to go to school and all that stuff. And sure, I that was really cool. So, without well, without further ado, um, <laughs> we're gonna get started. We're gonna start these questions one by one. Um, from the top, whoever, like, I don't even know how Instagram's algorithm works, but whatever the top comments are, we're going to go from the top. We're going to answer the best ones we can. We're going to give you a shout out. So we're going to give you your name for being cool. If it's a terrible question, <laughs> which I don't think there was, but I'm going to tell you if there was. And you will pay. And you will pay <laughs> Um, Yeah, so starting from the top. And some of these are just, man, you know what? I'm going to. I want to start with the first one because it deserves a response. And your response was way too humble, and I don't like that. <laughs> so uh, from Danny over at, I believe this is CrossFit Soul. Uh-huh. Why is Battle Axe <laughs> the sixth strongest gym in Miami? Uh, first of all, Danny, I love it. He's uh, Kudos to him for the success with Soul. And being my sponsor into MBSR and meditation because we actually would go together like AA. <laughs> uh, that comes from that. Let me tell you the story behind that is that everyone's starting to claim, well, not everyone, certain people and some people claim that they're the strongest people, strongest gym in Miami and strongest this. First of all, you got to have some real balls to do that, being as there's been some gyms around here that have been here for a long time. Um, and we had made a joke about it. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm the strongest gym on 133rd Court. <laughs> Uh, and then I would say I'm the third strongest gym on 137th Avenue. And that, that actually ended up being uh, just mocking the concept that I really don't, I really think it's a, it's a bold term. Some people deserve it, honestly. Yeah. There's some people in this town, mainly my colleague uh, Randy Scotts at Idolmaker. I always thought he would be the strongest gym because he's been doing this powerlifting game in Miami mm, for about at least powerlifting, at least 10, 15 years. I'm talking about West Side, Chains, yeah. Monolifts. He had a monolift before anyone knew what a fucking monolift was. So, so yeah, we, we joke around like that. So, we'll say six strong, and uh, <laughs> I, but I'm, I'm always like third strongest on 30 or 33rd court. So, I guess I guess uh, 133rd is... Is my street. Bringing the, yeah. bringing the heat. Time to get a face tattoo, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, oh, I like this. Kevin Fix Me asks, how to subtly help people that know it all and maybe do, but forget about fundamentals. Yeah. First of all, shout out to Kevin. He fixes my body. That's at Kevin Fix Me. 
Um, and a quick question here on the live one. How much does it cost to get into Miami's Baddest Man? I haven't decided, but 65 70 bucks. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, give me that money. But, uh, Kevin, good question. I think it's important to understand that people that already think they know it all, you have to approach them from a place outside of fitness. You cannot... You really have to know them. You really have to start to dissect them and understand that part of this job is heavily psychologically based. So if you tell them numbers and percentages and books and paragraphs, well, whether they're guy or girl, they're not going to accept that. They're going to always one-up you. If you approach them as a human being, as a man or a woman, like, hey, man, I understand that you know a lot of things, but let's let's meet in the middle. Let's talk this out. Let's... Let's understand what we're trying to go through together. What is our goal? Like, why are you coming to me? Why am I speaking to you right now? Mm. That automatically kind of disarms them where I'm not trying to outdo you or prove the size of my dick. It's rather, well, we're in this together. Sure. You're going to teach me, obviously, because you know information, and I'm going to learn teaching you. And you're going to learn something from me because, obviously, that's why we're having this discussion. And that should typically kind of meet a middle ground. They should. It's important to have people like this in your life because they challenge you. Mainly your patients, uh, <laughs> which is something I deal with a lot. And, and I'll tell you what, you should always, always treat your client like they know nothing. So you give them the full benefit of your expertise, your knowledge, and your time. If you automatically treat them like a know-it-all, there may be things that you're not going to tell them because... Whether their attitude is like that or not, you're not going to give them the information. You're going to be like, oh, they already know, like you already know conjugate. So you understand that, you know, mm -hmm. circumax. Well, maybe they don't. So you tell them, I always do. I'm, I'm going to treat you like you know nothing out of fairness because this is a business exchange. We're not friends. We're, sure. we're exchanging information for money and for time. And then outside of this over beers, we can discuss whatever. If they don't want to listen after that, if they don't want to be a part of that, fuck them. As simple as that, I'll be honest with you, anyone who is not going to be worth your time both monetarily and spiritually or consciously is an absolute waste of your time, and they're going to misrepresent you. Because you'll, they'll say, oh, well, he didn't, you know, he didn't know or he didn't tell me. Mm -hmm. So if you get that vibe after a certain amount of time, you disclose all the information you can. You kind of give yourself that guilt-free, like, I gave them everything. And then you move on because no matter what shit they talk, you'll always know the truth. Mm. So don't waste your time too much on people like that, but treat them like they know nothing. Give them the benefit. Talk to them outside of fitness numbers. Talk to them like a human being, like a person, disarm them and then go on forward. I like that. And I will also say and add just to give a little pinch on the end there mm. is uh, consider your mindset. Consider that the person who's a, know-it-all that's all they know that's the only way they've ever known so it's all to them because it's only right and when you consider it that way then you realize that they just don't know another perspective and that is then your job as someone who knows more than one to show them another perspective oh absolutely no absolutely absolutely um, well, yeah, this Kevin's on there right now, but yeah, absolutely. Well, thank yeah, you, Kevin. That was great, Kev. That was a great question. Let's see, as we're scrolling here, we got any on the live? 
Uh, when will you post the weight standards to every different? Everyone wants oh, to know about man. my new baddest man. Whenever I fucking want. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do that at the beginning of the new year. So literally the first week of January, we will have the weights. Remember that these weights have to be cha- trained, experimented on, discussed with my colleague, uh, Alan, who's the state chair. So I want to make fair numbers. And they're subject to change because some of these movements are a little tough. So by the beginning of the new year, giving you guys a full 12-week cycle, you will have all the weights for Miami's baddest. Excellent. We do know uh, last year's current Miami's baddest oh, yeah. man. <laughs> I might know him. We've met him. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a nice his guy. name start with J, rhymes with A-T. <laughs> Never seen him. Ah. So uh, I imagine this is a pretty common question. You must get this a lot because I understand it. <clears throat> it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, Johnny, or sorry, is that John? John XABC wants to know. <laughs> Why do I get butterflies every time I see MDLP? <laughs> oh, John from ABC. <laughs> um, I actually get this so many. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's John from American Barbell Club, who's a good buddy of mine. Uh, <laughs> jerk. I, I knew this was going to come up. He is blushing uh, so hard. First of all, I'm just like really, 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 really charismatic. Uh, it's the dimples. That's it. That's it. But it really is. It's because I, I trim the beard. Yeah. Don't look directly disgusting. into the dimples. It's like looking at the sun. <laughs> um, but thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, they definitely have some kind of. Dear, maybe, this 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 room just got way hotter. By the way, <laughs> it's it's about to be the shirtless podcast. <laughs> oh, all right. Shimmy Bone wants or says, tell us something we don't know about you. For example, a hobby, something you've always wanted to do but haven't yet, etc. And then a question, we'll go with that. And then actually, I, I, I'm going to kind of teeter off of this question. So tell us something about you that we wouldn't know. Shimmy, that's a Lanai. It's a, she trained at the bottle last gym. So shout out to you. I'm sure she's going to enjoy this one. Um, something that people don't know about me. Okay, I'll give you one thing as far as a hobby. I've posted it many times before. Um, I play guitar, I can paint, I can draw, I can draw with charcoal, uh, oil pastels, pencil, ink being my favorite. I've been drawing since I was three. My mother's an artist, my brother's an artist. Um, I've had the luxury of being surrounded by artists for most of my life. I can really play the guitar in the sense that I enjoy the sound of it, meaning I can just jam out some chords and enjoy. I have a very musical gifted talent that I don't really express sometimes I have a little bit on Instagram Mm. Um, and I keep that to myself mainly because I think art is one of the most vulnerable things in the world and um, I think it's very private I enjoy talking about it obviously with my close friends and you know picking up a guitar in the corner of the room and just sitting there and jamming but I won't I'm scared shitless to go out there and play in front of people Um, so yeah that's something that I don't talk about often because I think art is so personal and mm. it's so, I feel like it's like a direct look right into somebody's like yeah. soul. Like well, that's style. what it's meant to be. Yeah. And I, 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 like everybody else on this fucking planet, I'm not really good at being that kind of vulnerable or that, that openness and that vulnerability that comes from art. Um, but yeah, I've played drums, I've played guitar, I've sang, uh, 
so which is pretty cool. So I don't talk about that too much, but I do that. And there's something else if you wanted something that um, actually you just asked me about something that no one knows. Um, I'll tell you what. Somebody asked me, "Oh, how do you how do you how are you so confident when you go to competitions? Like, how do you know? Like, how do you?" I was like, "I'll tell you what. I'm really fucking nervous when I go to comps. I've been nervous for competing since I put on my first pair of gloves when I was a Muay Thai fighter. Obviously, never like fighting. I feel like that's the most nerve wracking thing in the world, but." I've always been nervous and I always have that, you know, those voices, maybe even more so because I hold myself to such a high standard and I put tremendous pressure on myself because I think that's my motivator, but also it's a double-edged sword. It can be mm. very toxic. 100%. And if people are like, oh man, you know, you, no one, you know, one can tell you're nervous and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, or you're like, it's, it's a similar, somebody said, oh, you're always right. I said, well, no. I'm just really good at being wrong. <laughs> and that's how I see it. I'm sure. really good at being nervous. I'm good at being anxious. I'm good at being fearful. Uh, I'll tell you, like what we did in Florida, is there were some movements where I was legitimately I was scared. I was yeah. like, this is, I, I mean, I've been hurt so many times and I felt injured. It sobers you. Sure. And, but I'm good at it. Like I use it as a fuel source. I cover it up in a certain way that I feel that it brings me strength. You know, that fear brings me motivation. So if there's something you don't know about me, because I know a lot of guys will see my persona on Instagram, people that don't know me, they think that, you know, Instagram is who I am. Um, oh, you know, nothing ever bothers me. I'm always fine. It's not true. Is that I'm so riddled with challenges by fear and uh, even, you know, obviously sometimes you wake up with low self-esteem or depression or, or you have your downs, but I'm good at it. I'm just sure. good at that. Maybe because I've been exposed to it so many times that you become very resilient to it. And it's not like it's like an old friend per se, although it's a good terminology, is that I trick myself into using it as a fuel source. And I think most people don't know that about me. They assume that I walk on there because I'm laughing, I'm having a good time, like I'm right. just cocking the walk. I go, man, <laughs> but I've been suffering for 34 years trying to better myself. Like, And I'm still doing that. I'm 34 uh, I'm just good at being <laughs> a shitty person in some ways, and I think a lot of people don't fucking know about that. Well, now it's on the fucking iTunes. So well, you know, with like with anything, your your habits come back to what comes easy, and in in that case, it would be that the fear comes easy for you, and it's easy to use that because it's a familiar option for you. Yeah. Um, I like to touch back on the art thing because mm -hmm. I've said this for a long time. I didn't know about the guitar thing or the drums <laughs> thing. But I just want to say, if anyone plays D&D &D with you and you, you're not a bard, I'm going to be so upset. First of all, what's D&D? &D? Oh, my know. God. They, they play know. a cleric. So they know. Yeah, a cleric. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? I'm not going to sing my way into a battle. <laughs> but you have. I was advised not to. <laughs> I would totally play a cleric. Shame on you, God. Oh, so that there was a, an additional. So that question from Shimmy Bone. It, it it kind of it rolled it went from like oh tell us something fun and then there's a, a side note that says how would you encourage those who struggle with mental illness to stay the course of life mm. so well that's a okay that's a deep one the magnitude <laughs> of that that that's a, a deep deep that's a deal, you know. 
That's a deep question for me because of, of mental illness in the sense of losing to life is a very, very personal subject to me, losing my best friend to that, to suicide. And I'll be honest with you, man, sometimes there is no help. And I think coming to terms with that is the first step with realizing when you lose somebody to something like that. I'm not saying that everyone's outside of help. Uh, please don't take it that way. But there are some times where there is just no winning, and that's the only way you can cope when you lose somebody to mental illness, depression, bipolar, um, things of that nature. Because the more you think you could help, the more the rest of your life becomes poison, like somebody dropped a drop of poison in a well, and you can never really live life anymore. You have like this stain on your soul. If I were to say if there's a way of helping people, I tell you what, and this is the only way, is consistent contact and example. You cannot tell people what to do. You cannot. I know, you know, as far as a management place, you can't tell a person that is suffering not to suffer or to suck it up. It never fucking works. No matter what they say, even if you think you saw a change, when they go home and you're not around them anymore, they go right back to status quo, which is sadness or whatever. It's exposure. It's consistent exposure and example, meaning call them, text them, show up. Like w what you do, John, which really appreciate, which I do. I've taken I've taken some notes on that myself. I, I'll text my family. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Uh, hey, why don't we meet up for coffee? Things that I myself have fallen behind, and I did fall behind on with my friend, and that's something you live with, but you have to do that consistently. That is the only way. Show them what a person looks like when they smile. Show them what it looks like, what happiness looks like, what uh, playing a sport, looking fit, having a dinner, uh, wearing a colorful shirt, things that they don't even want to do because they are not exposed to it. Mm. And it's almost like this kind of cognitive psychology approach is conditioning is the, to me, in my opinion, the most successful way. It's just cons so consistent. So a mental therapy. conditioning. It has to. It, to sure. me, like my opinion, yes. Which is why therapy works because it's consistently going to therapy. And then they, guess what? They look forward to the therapy. It no. becomes a part of their life. And they're like, I'm going to go next. Now, take that therapy away from that person and give them some pills. Mm. It never works. I'm not saying pills don't work. Please, I'm not anti-medicine, but there's other routes. So if, if to answer that question with mental illness or anything like that, it's consistent exposure, inconsistent example. And if you're out there and you know somebody that has a mental illness and a shortcoming mentally, you need to be part of their life all the time. And if you love them enough, it's not a fucking job. It's a gift that you can save their life. Because trust me, I lost that battle. And it is the most, <laughs> one of the most, one of the most terrible things in the world. And after that, you, you realize, you know, one call could change your life. Like literally, one call, one lunch date, one beer at a, at a fucking hole in the wall there can literally save that person's life. And so that's, that's my answer to that. I, uh, I also have a little piggyback to that because... That is great advice, especially when considering someone else. <clears throat> if you yourself are struggling with depression or whatever it might be, I think a really key thing, and I, I can speak on this personally, is I began to heal when I began understanding that not every day was going to be good. 
and the moments where I learned to understand and accept and go, okay, today was shit, but I get another crack tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow's another day. And you get there and, and, and you fail a lot. And when you understand that you're going to fail, but you get another chance, that wheel keeps turning. And then all of a sudden, that consistency happens. Next thing you know, you're able to catch it in someone else and say, hey, man, come on, let's go lift. Let's yeah. go have a beer. And, yeah. and that's how the healing for not only yourself, but others around you happens. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I hate to say it, it's like fucking training. <laughs> in the sense it is yeah it really is and it's consistent struggle maybe that's why a lot of us are so are suffering from it and I think it just saves a lot of lives basically it's personal yeah um, but yeah good question fuck great question <laughs> having a string yeah seriously uh. <laughs> alright you cry about something else <laughs> somebody's cutting onions in here oh god I hate you dad um so uh El Toro Fuerte <laughs> Did I say that right? Yeah, you got El Toro. <laughs> El Toro. <laughs> uh, considering the injuries you racked up in the prep for Florida Strongest Man 2018, what would you have done differently if you had to do it all over again? Uh, okay. Oh, shout out to Nil. Nil's uh, the one Florida Strongest Man this year. Good friend of mine. Um, also coach of Strongman. To answer your question, Nil... I had, this, I had to make a decision. I racked up, quote-unquote, injuries, uh, torn calf. Um, I tore my bicep during the contest. I nearly tore my tricep um, because of coaching, because I made my decision to travel. I made my decision to um, uh, put a lot of work into coaching. Obviously, traveling takes a lot out of you. Pressing 300 pounds over your head while you're on the road, not not well fed, uh, not drinking the right amount of fluids. Um, it's just, it's it's hard. So are you asking me if I would have done anything different? I would have to say no, because this is a sport of strongman. It is not, it's not Scrabble, <laughs> it's not chess. It is a sport that you will go into battle hoping to be 100% when you've been in this game as long as I have and others. I mean, this is my seventh year of strongman, and it's also my 13th year of competition. And things happen, man. You know, when you get to a certain level, I'm 34 years old. I'm not as, as young as I used to be. It's also an acclimation period. I haven't done strongman in two years, so I was expecting some wears and tears. I think a lot of injuries were on my end. Um, not sleeping enough, obviously because of work, or not hydrating enough because of just being neglectful or, or travel. Um, so these are things that I understand that happen mainly most, mostly my fault. Sure. Um, you know, some shit just happens sometimes, you know, I caught the log wrong, whatever. If you're asking me if I would have anything different, the only way I would have been able to do anything different is not travel for three weeks and neg like negate going to coach my lifters at nationals, um, and coach, uh, Vinny at worlds and probably one of the most emotional meets I've ever seen. Not going to vacation with my girlfriend and my fa and my good friends. Uh, no, man, no, uh, I could not go back on that. <laughs> and I kind of, I'm pretty proud. I know it sounds weird. I'm pretty proud that I endured uh, these pains and these hurt moments because that's the game. I'm not encouraging people to get hurt. I'm not encouraging people to work through injury. But there's certain injuries that you just have to suck up. 
Sure. Um, so would I have done anything different? Yeah, man. Maybe I would have been able to sleep more, rest more, hydrate more, eat more. But that would have come at the expense of being a coach, which I feel is my legacy and is ultimately my destiny is to be a good coach. Will surpass my ability as an athlete, um, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But yeah. Excellent. Well, that is great. Do we have any live questions that you want to get to? Uh, been asked here by Hulk Smashley. How do you feel about women and straw men? Uh, and, and I don't mean to laugh. I'm just trying to, I just realized how bad my vision is. Are you proud <laughs> to have a broad spectrum? At? Yes, I don't have any problem with women and strong men. I don't have anyone a problem with anything and anything, basically, as long as it's competitive. As long as you're seeing it as a way to better yourself without at the expense of others. Uh, so I love. I have two national ch- uh, masters champion. I have one of the largest female groups of the state training together in strongman. I think that it's important to be strong, and I think it's important to find virtue outside. And I don't think it really matters of your gender at all. Um, I treat all my lifters equally, whether you have a vagina or a penis. I don't really give a fuck as long as you're trying two to better genders. yourself, right? And I don't care as long as you're. <laughs> You're pushing forward. Right. Um, I don't. I don't really care. But I'm extremely proud to have been surrounded by some of the best uh, female lifters, including my good friend Lifa, which is just a fucking incredibly strong person. Um, I think strong man, female and strong men is. I think they've been around since the beginning, but I think exposing more women to it has been one of the greatest things because um, I'd love to see my nieces get into it as they get older. So I don't know if I have a particular feeling. I just never thought anything of it. Yeah, because I feel like that's the way it should be. Like, sure. I'm like, yeah, the girl, the sports girl, like, why shouldn't you be in it? Not like, ugh, what are you doing here? Right. Yeah. So, exactly. Not that I'm indifferent. It's just, it's the way it should be. So, do you encourage the name to change to Strong Person? Ah, no, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking strong man. Female <laughs> strong, strong man, male strong man. <laughs> that's All right. Um, well, since you were touching on uh, coaching being your legacy. We get a pretty good question from the names is H Gons, zero three four. He's a Margate barbell lifter. Oh, nice. His name's that place. We call him Handsome Hank. Oh, hey Hank. <laughs> and he says, "There's an episode of online coaching and programming today, which leads me to a two-part question: What qualifies someone to be a coach, and what should an athlete expect from their coach?" Oof. Good question. Um, we talk about this a lot. Um, I'll start with the second part first. What should you expect from your coach? And then I'll, the first part was, uh, what was it? The, the first part? Yeah. What qualifies you as a coach? Okay. Um, you should expect your coach to put you first. Meaning, even if it's at, at the expense of, of money. A coach should ultimately, if you've been given the title... Of coach, which I've been, I, I'm, I really think unless you get your CSCS or something like that, typically the title coach is given to you. I think it's very important to realize that, like as a gift, because eventually you are a servant, you are serving people. Um, I think you have to really expect them to put you first, meaning eventually you might outgrow your coach. And if you don't get the vibe that he or she is trying to. Find every avenue to better you, meaning if they can't sleep, if they have to buy seminars to be better for you, buy more books to read, 
pay a nutritionist or hook you up with a good nutritionist outside of your understanding. If they're not doing things like that, admitting when they're wrong, going outside of themselves, hosting seminars in their own gym, which I've, I've done many times just because I feel like it's important to get other perspectives. If they're not doing that, if they're not making you feel like you are first in their eyes, uh, that's not the coach for you. If the coach is making you feel like you owe them something, like you're the one that's like, oh God, that's my coach. It's, I'm, I should be honored. Like that, that's wrong. That's not what a coach should make you feel. The coach should make you feel like he serves you, like you're a team and he's on your side and he's got your back. Obviously, he leads from the front in many ways or he or she, but they should put you first. And that means saying, I don't know. Or, hey, you know what, man? Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I Maybe our time is done. I'm going to suggest you to some... Or you want to learn Olympic lifting. Look, if you want to learn snatch, the snatch. Doesn't everybody. If you want to learn the snatch from MDLP, you know what I'm going to tell them to go to CrossFit So, man. I can't teach you the snatch. Yeah. On, or, or be like, yeah, 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 man. We can just, you know, whatever, and teach you the, a terrible movement. Or be like, no, that's stupid. You shouldn't have to learn that. Uh, so I think you should expect that. Somebody who's professional, somebody who's on time, somebody who treats you with respect, somebody who treats you like you want to be treated. And I'll go back and, and say that you have to, on, on your own as an athlete, I think, treat the coach the same way. Be professional. Be on time. You're not a fucking brat either. It's a business exchange. Right. Um, and what qualifies somebody as a coach? That's a good question. Um, some people would say, who you know who they've trained? I've seen some things online with this fucking point system. How many books have they read? And I've answered this many times. Really good coaches can't be quantified. You cannot put the experience, the time, the money, the pain, the injuries, the sleepless nights, the sleeping on couches and being in the backseat of a car, the time they sacrifice with their family to be by your side, the stress, the tears, the fucking blood they wipe off your face. You can't quantify that on a fucking point system or some bullshit. Uh, it's hard. It's right. a hard thing to do. What quantifies a good coach is, or what qualifies somebody as a coach, obviously there's a baseline. Uh, knowledge, um, you know, commitment, professionalism, uh, their ability to exceed their, you know, their book base. Obviously, they read, sure, and their ability to to accept change, to evolve. For fuck's sake, there's a lot of people that don't evolve. Um, but but qualifies a good coach or a coach in general. Sometimes it's hard to gauge, and I think it's a little bit hard to say that. But I hope you get the concept that it's a little bit in depth. But for sure, they have to put this on a baseline. You know, look at your coach and see if they're evolving. Are they up in the times? Or are they just being like, oh, well, back in my day, you know, well, that's not fair. You know, there's a lot of science out there to try new things. So that's a, I hope that answers your question, man. And I think that it's important to to have a very open relationship with your with your coach. If you're, if you're a lifter um, and you're not meeting the requirements of an athlete, then you should not expect anything from your coach. If you're not on time for lifting, if you're not taking care of your diet, if you're not mobilizing, healing, being professional, being respectful, then this question's not for you. You should check yourself first before you expect anything from the coach and vice versa. Very well said. Um, let's see if there's another live question and then we'll wrap the live up. Word. Good question. Uh, <laughs> mostly just... Have you realized I'm sexier than you yet? <laughs> oh. I know who you are, Justin. And no, I've never realized that because I can't see you because I'm too handsome. 
Then that's it, I think. Blinded by the dimples, huh? <laughs> Blinded. I, didn't yeah. I wanted to sing it, but... I was asked if whoever make this shirt that I'm wearing right now, the original DVAP, uh, no. I do not remake shirts, and this is one-of-a-kind bullshit. So thank you very much, very much for guys uh, tuning in live. We are going to wrap live off and then go ahead and finish our questions. Um, and then you guys can catch us when we put this online with the editing and stuff. So we had a good, good fucking turnout too. So now we're gonna <laughs> hammer these questions out. So thank you guys. Jason, thank you so much, Johnny. So you can say goodbye. Boom. See you guys. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Let's do it. Now you, I've always been curious how to say her name. I think you said it's Lifa. Yeah. All right. So she asks. Let's go back. When is comparison helpful? That's a great question. It is, and it's short <laughs> and sweet. She asked a lot of good questions, and then one funny one. But I actually caught a glimpse of this. When is comparison um, helpful? I, a part of me wants to say never, but that's bullshit. I think that's uh, something people put on an Instagram post to make some stupid meme. I think comparison is important as a motivator, but not a GPS. Meaning, it's important for you to understand what other people in your class are doing. Meaning, or what's the average, or what's the top deadlifts at the 231? What are the the top amateurs doing? Are they log pressing 315? Or are they deadlifting 700? Not as a GPS, meaning I have to deadlift 700 to be good. But as a, that's a long-term goal for me to drive forward. As something to motivate me to stay in the sport. Uh, maybe even motivate to reach out and ask questions to learn about that. Sure. But not as I say all be all. I need to do this. Um, I remember I, I deadlifted 700. And I remember guys deadlifting much more than me. But they never showed up in competitions. They were bad at certain movements. And I remember learning my lesson very quickly. Just being like, oh, I used to be a pretty small 231. I, I consider myself pretty okay size, but not huge. And being like, man. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, hypertrophy. Off season, baby. Gadoosh. And they're like, I remember being like, oh man, this is, you know, these guys are huge. Yeah. And I compare myself and I'm like, oh, I need to have bigger biceps and bigger triceps. And well, not really, because I remember beating a lot of those guys. And so I learned my lesson very quickly, even in fighting. It's very easy to go online and, and compare yourself to other people. And I think it's important to, for you to get a baseline to grow into. Sure. But not to say all be all, because guess what? You might have a pretty good deadlift, but you may be an incredible presser, an incredible mover, or mentally strong, which is very hard, very disciplined. You might not burn the you know candle at both ends. You might go to sleep every night and not go out drinking and party off-season. Um, so it's important for you to get these baseline numbers as a long-term perspective, but not so much that you're losing sight of yourself, mm -hmm. that you're not trying to imitate. And then, oh, suddenly I need 750 for reps. No, you follow your own course. And along the way, and I think this is very important for m m beginner, middle of the pack lifters to have, still have something to look up to. And then I'll, I'll, I'll note that even if you're at the top of your game, you should never not compare yourself to something. Uh, start looking at somebody else and their mental strength. Maybe you're the best presser in the world, so you have nobody to look at link to for pressing. But there's somebody somewhere out there doing something that you're not doing. That might benefit you. And I don't know if that's comparison as much as it is learning. Sure. Um, and that's the perspective you need to have. And that's 
a fruitful comparison. Not, oh, you know, look at his elbow sleeves. He wears black elbow sleeves. I need elbow sleeves. You know, it's a <laughs> GPS concept. It right. goes inside of yourself. Sure. So that's what I would answer that question. And I, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's also when you're looking at a guy with a 700-pound deadlift, well, that's that's the end destination. And maybe you can find the quality in the work, the comparison of the work of what it took him to get there, right? Well, that guy's got a 700 deadlift. What was his body of work to get yes. there? What is my body of work? Am I comparable to that journey? Yeah, am, I, am I doing the work? Right. Um, and that's a positive comparison. Right. You know, at the same, like I said, at the same time, it shouldn't be the GPS because sure. you'll see a lot of guys, oh, you know, I do massive amounts of volume. I'm like, well, man, I don't know. That may not be for you, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I tap and go every single time. I do, you know, I'm like, okay. But yeah, I think it's important to compare in the fruitful sense. So yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Excellent. As they always say, it's the journey, not the destination. Mm. Man. She crushed these questions. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Um, this kind of ties into what you've already answered which was what responsibilities does a coach have to their athletes? So I think we can kind of just go back to the information on Handsome Hank's question, unless you want to add a little bit more. It's like, what, um, I would say that's one where I would go back into the Handsome <clears throat> being professional. I wrote an article about it too for PRS if you want to check that out. Um, you know, mental cues for a coach. And mainly it was acting. If, you, if you're a coach, I think you should act professional. Uh, but yeah, I'll sure. go back a few minutes before I check that question out. All right. And then her last, which is probably the most important, but how much social <laughs> responsibility does the gym dog carry? <laughs> uh, Bryn Atlas, my dog, is a gym dog. And I think uh, she carries much more social responsibility than I do because I get more questions about her. And more responses from her videos of her mm-hmm. than anything else. So there you go. That that's where I've, that's where I'm in my life right now. <laughs> where my dog has freaking passed me. I'm pretty sure if she had an Instagram, she would crush me. Oh, 100 percent for sure. Which I'm like, no, she doesn't need one, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> no, her dog is fucking great. Next thing you know, she's posting with Fit Girl T. Yeah, done. Gets a bank sponsorship. <laughs> You're a lady. <laughs> All right, you don't do that shit. What have you done to get yeah, these? Brin, Brin Buscemi. <laughs> oh, let's see here. Get all flustered thinking about Brin. <laughs> She's a heartbreaker, man. Let's see. From a psychological. Oh, this is from RWX seventy five. Yep, that's uh, Lewis, one of our battle axe playing. Guys. Excellent. From a psychological level, what makes a true athlete, and then to tag on to that, what separates great athletes from good athletes? So psychologically, what makes a true athlete, and what separates the great athletes from the good ones? Good question. Lewis, shout out to you, brother. He's uh, moved to New York, Battle Axe Clan. He's going for, he's been powerlifting for quite some time, done well on nationals. Um, what would make psychologically a true athlete? I don't want to call it sacrifice because I feel like it's our choice to do these things. Sure. But there is a certain amount of sacrifice 
uh, that comes to play. I remember watching an old Kai Green video way back on the YouTubes, and he was saying, oh, it's not sacrifice, you know, it's it's something that we choose to do, it's something that we love to do, and, you know, etc. And I, I agree with a lot of things, but I didn't agree with that. I think when you see something as a sacrifice, that it draws a line in the sand, or as I like to say, in the cement. When you sacrifice time with your family, when you sacrifice time with your friends, with yourself, meaning you can explore other things, when you sacrifice your money, you can't go on vacation because you're saving up for food and training and competing. When you're doing all this for a sport and you put the sport at a level that is bigger than you, that's when I think you can call yourself an athlete because you now understand that you are a part of something great. Your story and your journey and your process is much bigger than you. It is not the shoes. It is not the the likes. It is not the popularity. It is not the persona of the strength athlete that draws you. It is the day-to-day sacrifices that you are doing for something that no one may ever fucking remember but yourself. When you put that above going out to drinks and going out to family parties and shit, man, even hanging out with your loved ones or your your significant others because you're so fucking tired that you need to go to sleep mm-hmm. because you can't do shit. Um, that's what I would say is a psychological perspective of an athlete willing to put everything behind, whether it's for five weeks, eight, 12, or four, 10 years. It is that perspective that draws a line in the sand and if you're not there, I really hate when people use that term athlete without understanding this. You know, that's the people that cry when they win. Like, they're like, oh, that's gay. I'm like, no, is it? Is it because you cannot quantify what that person has sacrificed for this? And sure. most of us don't do it for shit. There's no money here. You know, it's a, it's something, uh, I'll use the term spiritual almost, something deep in our soul that we're sacrificing all these things for to get that relatively selfish fulfillment, but at the same time, it inspires others around us. So that's the psychological perspective that I must have and will have and will always uphold my athletes to do it. This is what I do at my gym. If you're getting ready for a comp and you show up two minutes late, I fucking destroy you because you are getting ready for a comp. You're an athlete. Yeah. Act professionally. You should be first. You should be that person that people look to and be like, "Damn, dude, look at the look at them. Like, look at them. Like, they're ready. They're, they're sure. focused. They're not talking about lunch and fucking slanging pussy on a Friday. They're fucking getting it in." And you're like, "That's what I want to be." You inspire people. That is that psychological perspective. Well, that approach also has direct application to a person in life. Think about at work. The guys who have the most success are the guys that are there 15 minutes before they should be working or 15 minutes after asking questions. How can I be better? How can I earn more? How can I be a manager? How can I oversee this team? And those are the ones, those athletes are direct application to life and what they do at work. Uh, 100% typically that perspective um, breeds a more humbled person that is willing to teach that path because they understand that they are truly sacrificing so much and of course 
you know, we all do this for fun. There's a lot of people out there that's like, look, you know, you're an athlete. Like, you chose this life. Like, just shut up and do it. I'm like, man, I have a big problem with that, too, because that doesn't inspire anyone. Sure. That perspective doesn't help people get out of bed. It doesn't help that kid in the middle of fucking Idaho that sees your Instagram and looks at you and you're a fucking nobody and they look at you like you're some somebody so they can get out there and lift weights and maybe not fucking smoke a crack pipe or fucking get into trouble. You don't you don't know nowadays how much inspiration is uh, being had by just sticking to that consistency and that whole well, don't you know? It's just my job. Fuck it, you know, whatever. I'm like, ugh, that that's not the, that's mm-hmm. not the perspective of greatness. Right. You know, like, um, and the second part of that question, I hope I kind of got to that on the first one. Uh, what differentiates a great from a good athlete? <laughs> I I would love to answer this. I I know, like I've said in many other podcasts, the simplest answer tends to be the best. I would love to say consistency. And that is in terms or coincides very closely with perseverance. Um, Consistency is a very plain word for a myriad of emotions and discipline. You cannot be consistency without the attitude of perseverance, without courage, without sacrifice, without discipline. You cannot be consistent. At least let's just focus on strength sports for right now. You cannot be consistent without those virtues. And I'll put the term consistent above anything. You can say discipline, um, but I know a lot of good athletes that are disciplined. I know a lot of them. They're just not consistent. And this means what? They get a a tweak in their calf. They're like, oh, take some time off. Or they go through something hard in their life. We all go through shit, man. Right. And they're like, oh, I need to take time off to focus on what's important. I'm like, what do you mean, motherfucker? Like, the sport is important. That is why you were able to persevere in the first place. So what are you, gonna, what are you taking time off f- from? I don't right. know. I, that always bugs me. Those are the difference between a great athlete. A great athlete sees nothing else but the consistency, the process, the journey, whatever you want to call it. As much as the term grind now suddenly become fucking bliss. Yeah, like, I don't God, get I hate that. Yeah, it's become a thing. And I'm like, look, let, let me tell you something. It's consistency. And that waking up in the morning and when it's a good day, like you said, when it's a bad day and the waking up the next day and saying tomorrow's another day, that that has to be, that's what carries you from being a one to five-year athlete to a 10 to 20. And I know a lot of two, three-year athletes, man. Three years, oh, you know, my career. <laughs> use the term career <laughs> my career you know i gotta take you mean your off. internship sir yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> your uh yeah your time here <laughs> and they they use this term i said man i'll tell you what you may go to different sports that, that's very normal but you're consistently being an athlete and that is which ties into the first part of the psychological approach of an athlete consistency has a whole umbrella over what creates a great Look at the greats. Mm. They never strayed from the way. Never. And here they are. You know, Muhammad Ali. Uh, I mean, I can name a million of them. I just I thought about Muhammad Ali first. but Sure. That's what I mean. The Michael Jordans. Michael the Jordans, Kobe's. The Gretzky's. I mean, these, look at them, man. Consistent. Consistent. Injury. Uh, scandal. Uh, personal issues. Yeah. 
everything. And you think they go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to not pick up the basketball? And, and they had plenty of money, dude. Plenty of money. Yep. They didn't do it for the money at one point. Eventually, when you're a multi-millionaire and you know you can sit back on your sponsors and not do anything, it's that love, it's that consistency. So that's what I would say would make a great athlete. And I will hope you understand that you can't say you're consistent a year in. It's years sure. of work to say that. I like that. Let's see. We had another good one. Lady Like Strong. Oh, what an athlete she is. Yeah. She's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, she's tough, man. She's battle axe clan. How should an athlete decide what competitions to do? <clears throat> well, I mean, if, so we're going to get a little technical here. I would say that depends on your level of experience. When you're at the beginning part of the game, it's easy to expose yourself to maybe four or five competitions a year. Because you're not at that human potential. Uh, you're not pushing your limits. You're not getting beat up. You know, you're at 70% of your human capacity. It's okay for you to train consistently and compete. Mm. After a certain part, it's all cost to benefit ratio. Or as Brian says it, uh, is the juice worth the squeeze? Are you competing because you're using competition as some sort of way to discipline your life and as a way to uh, really stress because you have a goal? Are you doing this because you're ego-oriented? You need something to brag about? You need to be part of the group because you feel if you're not competing, you're falling behind? Or are you using this competition because you actually need it to qualify, to set numbers, sure. uh, to grow in strength and, 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 and value or prestige in your resume, per se? Um, and I think it's important to identify those things because it comes to a certain point where competing too much actually creates decay. And it ends up uh, leading you to get frustrated with the sport because it becomes like a job. Sure. Uh, you're getting more injured. You're getting more beat up. So I think at a certain point, you have to say, let's say you let's say you make it to nationals. I made it to nationals in December, right? There's tons of competitions next year that I can do. California Strongest Man, the Kazmaier. I can do the Summer Scorcher just for an ego lift. I can go across the sea. I can do USS Nationals and qualify. But why? What's the end game for me? What's the end goal? Sure. Is it to compete a lot? Is it to say I competed 50 times? Or is it to say I competed 20 times, but I'm a national champion. I set records. I got my pro card. Uh, I'm still fucking alive and my body's okay. Yeah. I still walk at 38. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very real thing. Allegedly. Right. <laughs> and, and I tell people that. I said, and I tell my athletes that Brandon being, you know, getting seventh at nationals, being an exceptional athlete herself, coming into the game a little late and strong, man. It's that a lot of people have that eagerness to compete, sure, because it, it brings purpose. You know, we comp a lot, especially myself. I'm a wild animal, man. If you let me out of my cage, I will run loose. And sometimes I used to use competitions to hone myself in. Oh, and I have a reason to diet. I have a reason to do some cardio. I have a reason. And it was this purposeful. But guess what? When I got hurt, I had nothing. So what was the only reason that kept me going was what was my end game? Right. It wasn't how many competitions I racked up. It's, I love this sport. I love this fucking sport. And competing once or ten times or in the process of was where I truly found love. But also, I was trying to, I'm trying to get my pro card, or I'm trying to at least establish myself 
as a, a name in sure. this process. So if you go and compete in some Mickey Mouse show and you beat no, like I'm not to be rude, but you beat nobodies, what did you do? Right. I mean, you just risk injury. Now, what about the aspect of, say, for example, I hear this a lot, and this is just me kind of cruising through the athletes, and I hear this a lot. Man, I hit that in training. I hit that in training, but I missed it here. Do you believe that maybe some people should compete to uh, hone in the pressures of competition, especially when working for heavier numbers? That's a fucking great question, and I think Randy will appreciate that too. Most of us as well. That is the. It's so funny you say that. That is the the paradox. Do I compete enough to gain confidence? And how much is too much, or it's decay? And how much is just enough where I actually gain that that edge? That yeah. guy that walks in there, that girl that walks in there, you're like, that's a bad bitch, bro. She looks, she looks great. Like she yeah. has everything. That is a very subjective thing, and I hate to to give you that gray answer. The best thing you can do, in my opinion, is when you're a beginner, compete more often. Mm-hmm. Four, five, I'm not six, but four or five times a year. Because you're at that stage where the level of which numbers you, of which you're hitting is not enough to hurt you so bad where you're going to destroy your body if you're properly coached, of course. Sure. But you're, being, you're getting those heebie-jeebies up. You're building that armor. You're putting the dents in your shield. You're putting the battle scars on your body. You're learning to what it feels like to rip a hand in competition, to tear a hamstring, to tweak a bicep, to lose. What it feels like to lose. What it feels like to zero in a strong man or to, to, uh, to miss a squat or two or three benches. It's important. That's at the beginning phase. Year one, sometimes beginning phase lasts three years. Sure. Not everybody gets really good in two years. You know, even though people think that in two years they're fucking professionals, but it takes a while. After that, when you start to feel that your training is demanding more rest, when your life is important and you notice that you can't squat heavy every single day because your numbers are so heavy, your training habits and your recovery habits should be reflected into your competing habits if you need to rest more than train you're at that training age where you can't compete that often anymore yeah let's say myself i need to rest more than i can train more that's i'm 34 i'm beat up i'm still capable i feel like i'm I'm reaching a certain like peak in my life but i'm still capable of hitting it pretty hard but i need to recover more sure so does that mean that i need to compete five times a year that doesn't even make sense it doesn't even reflect my training it doesn't reflect my lifestyle. So I think that's important uh, to base. So if, as far as getting that mental edge, oh, I hit that in training. Because a lot of times that's nerves. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll piggyback by saying that your training should reflect competition in a way. You need to be around the competitive group that makes you fucking nervous. Yeah. That you're going to lift that up and they're like, I think ready, timer's ready. And you're like, oh my God, this is fucking crazy. I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm around guys that are stronger than me. I'm around girls that are faster than me. Your training circle should reflect that. And that helps mitigate the fact that you should compete a million times a fucking year. I love it. Yeah. I was good about, I feel good about that one. Here's a, uh, yeah, that was solid. If, uh, if you listen to any of this, listen to that one moment. <laughs> just that and then tune off and that's it right. okay bye right, bye um
here's one a little bit off sport. If you, it's from Bearded Oliver. If you could go thirty years into the future and ask yourself one question, what would it be? Thirty years in the future. Now I know in thirty years I plan on being on a lot of steroids. Oh, dude. Or very dead. Done. I thought I was gonna say like a fucking shit ton of drugs and dude riverboat gambling, just fucking myself up to pieces. I don't First of all, Oliver, if I make it thirty years from now, wow. At sixty four, I don't plan on that. Number two, I would. Um, Probably find like some cure for some badass disease, come back, and then sell it to be a fucking filthy millionaire. Let's be real. Um, but okay, to go back, I keep thinking of Back to the Future. Um, what I would ask myself something. I would. Uh, I think I know it sounds cliche, uh, but I would honestly ask myself if it was if it was all worth it. And I mean that in the sense of both physically, and spiritually, and psychologically. The building of the battle axe, the legacy, the culture, mm. the sleepless nights, the stress, the debt. Like 30 years from now, if we made it, I'd be like, hey, Mike, was it really all fucking worth that in your 30s? Like, did we come this far? I don't expect to find myself at 64 in this life of luxury, sitting in this fucking big house. Uh, if I make it that far, I expect to find myself in some dingy bar, grumpy as fuck. Uh, but relatively satisfied with how I've lived. I've always imagined myself, obviously, we all drift into time um, in the future and how will we be. I feel like I'd be myself, but just aged and weathered. Mm. But ultimately sac uh, happy because there was a part of my life where I did whatever the fuck I wanted for as long as I fucking could. And I think 95% of people don't ever have that feeling in their guts and no matter whether I'm falling apart and my joints and my mind is falling apart I can tell you right now that I don't think I'd ever fucking regret anything but I would ask myself that truthfully was it all worth it like was it you know all these these podcasts and, and friends and drunken nights and competitions and ripping my body apart and coaching people and disagreements and now I drama and shit I would need to know what 30 years from now I would say. I feel like I know this, what I would say. <laughs> yeah, but 30 sure. years is a long time, but that's what I would ask sure. myself. 30 years is a, is a lot, but... You're giving me a lot, Oliver. You're giving <laughs> me a lot of fucking years. You know what I would say? And I would say being, uh, as as a man who's a little bit older than you. <laughs> Very little. We Very look little. the same Not age. Not much. We look the same age. Um, and someone who works, you know, I work in sales. I work corporate life. I do my eight to five I would say that the thing that stands out is that you live what maybe a hundred years ago would be considered a free man's life you know that every decision you make is yours what time you wake up what time you go to bed every part of your day is your decision to make and as adults we can make that but on my side it's like yeah mm -hmm. I could sleep in but eight o'clock is eight o'clock. Eight o'clock is eight o'clock, and that money ain't gonna make itself. Yeah, work. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's one thing. Thirty years from now, if you asked me about MDLP, I'd say you lived as a free man, and that's something that most of us in our lifetime will never experience. 
or maybe we will when we retire. Because I'm moving to the villages and I'm playing shuffleboard and oh, doing cocaine. Right. You're getting a fuck ton of STDs. God, bro. You're already at that age, bro. If that so ain't retirement, saying, I don't know what is. I, I want to go to Margaritaville and kill myself. <laughs> um, Slowly yeah, through right. consumption. <laughs> consumption disease. No, no, no. I've always uh, thought myself to be, uh, you know, Oregon Trail, diet dysentery. <laughs> uh, I diet of dysentery every single time in Oregon Trail. <laughs> every time. Stupid. That game is a fucking possible game. Oh, man. Here's a, here's a good question. Um, from Poppy Espumita. Nick? Oh, Nick Martin. I really love this question because... Um, I know what mine is, so uh, we'll do this as a total, and then we'll apply it to Florida Strongest Man, which is, which is your favorite competitive moment? And I would assume that that's about you. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do this? Okay. Ready? We'll say, favorite competitive moment for you ever, favorite competitive competitive moment for you as a coach. Oh, fuck. I knew you were going to say Yeah, that. you take Son that. Son of a bitch. You take that right in the mouth. Um, <laughs> I'm going to sip this whiskey. Just relax your throat. So, <laughs> so I'll tell you what. Um, I saw this question because it came up on the drive up. Good question, Nick. Nick Barnes also by Lax Clan. Come a long way. What a set of hair on that kid. Beautiful. Jesus. What a set of locks. Piece, Piece of shit. Of shit. You can't write that stuff. <laughs> Simpatico. Um, I'll tell you that. Uh, I'll tell you why the this moment is so valuable by telling you some of my worst moments, which I think is fair. Hmm. Um, and I know we're we got about yeah, we got about time. Yeah. Some of my worst moments: a losing my first fight, um, which is my first fight ever that I did. I lost, and it was hard on me. It was terrible, and I compare that to losing my last fight. It broke my heart. You try. There's nothing like losing a fight in front of your friends and family. And I had worked really, really hard, and I was outsized, and I felt like I couldn't express myself as a fighter. And that, that, that you know, really, really broke my heart. When, do, when you say that, um, so he was bigger than you, so basically you had to fight at his will, you mean? Yeah, basically, so... Back then, the weigh-ins were every two hours, and they typically gave, this was Muay Thai fighting, they would give the more popular schools kind of like leeway on the weigh-in. It was very political. Mm. And these guys are always, like, again, I was just bigger at the bottom. My legs were big, but I wasn't a big guy. I was fighting guys that were 5, 10 pounds heavier than me, and that's a big deal. That's pre-weigh-in. Sure. Uh, that's at the weigh-in, basically. Um, and it sucked. I Losing fights sucked. It really did suck. And all my fights that I lost, I lost three fights. I remember those clearly. So those are some of my worst moments. My worst strongman moment was 2016 Nationals. I had gone with very high hopes. Um, I ended up entering pretty riddled with injuries. I That was the beginning of the end of my back. Uh, I had an incredible shin splints, elbow was fucked. I was almost like a mummy. And I, I went in there with you know expectations of top 10 with good events for me. And I got 21st, which to me was... A, just a disgrace because it was just not where I belonged. I was a top 10 guy. Even by the top 10 guys were looking at my numbers and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed of myself because I couldn't even do what I set out to do. I had trained an entire year. I 
got in second at Florida's 2015. So my perspective was that I'm going nationals. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And I was mostly mad because of all the things I set out to do. And I got embarrassed by myself. I didn't do anything I thought I was going to set out to do. and Very upset. And that was the last time I competed for two years. And it that would set off a chain reaction with back injuries and realizing I needed to take time. Um, and that was probably one of the worst, most competitive moments of my life because not only was my last competition shit, but it was that's the only memory I had going into back injury where I was told I may never compete again. So I was like, Man. "This is how it, this is how I end. Like this, this can't be right. Like I I've worked so hard and I was very very emotional. I mean, I'd given my life to this sport. I'd given a year to make it to Stromit. Years, yeah. you know, to make the Arnold's." And it fucking went to shit. So to go all the way back around now to what the most badass competitive moment I fucking tell you was December 1st of 2018 when I hit that fucking log. <laughs> and it's hard not to say and get emotional. And I wish I wouldn't, but fuck it. It was probably the most emotional. Uh, it's like the quintessential moment. It represented years of everything it, it surpassed the two years of of rehab it represented all those years behind me uh six years of strongman fucking another five years of fighting all those years coming into this 34 year old man like being like hey motherfuckers like i'm, I'm still here like there is mm -hmm. still and it was the biggest lift i've ever done in a competition five pounds under a personal pr uh, with a log that i suck at and I never win press. I never win the press. Like I just, I always get like second or third. It's always like, it's always been hard for me. Yeah. And it looked fucking good. And it felt good. And it was probably the most, the best competitive moment of my entire life because of the story behind it. Sure. So even if no one knew, I knew. <laughs> and I, man, the way I celebrated, maybe you thought so, but... That was my most, that was the one. That was the one that even seeing the video now still makes my eyes water. Like it gives me chills. Like I just, I never had that experience. In my I've never looked upon myself doing anything. I said maybe my 700 pound deadlift that I've looked upon that and I was like, I'm proud of myself. Yeah, That's sure. Like, I'm so critical. I'm like, yeah. Or, you know, we are the way we are. I'm like, That's okay. Thank you. I can't look at myself, <laughs> but I look at that video and I'm like, I breathe. You hear me like, like, because I'm like, I was there. Like, I did that. I earned that. And yeah. I earned that through shit, you know? Um, that's my best competitive. You had that uh, You had that crowd give you that, uh, Goku, take our power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, because that's what I it felt that like. Spirit bomb shit, man. Watching it live was, it was, it was not only uh, for people who are around you, and, and we talk pretty much every day. It was something not only we needed to see for you, but we needed to see ourselves. I think as your friends and family and, and people who care about you, we needed to see that happen because we know how much you've sacrificed and how much you love the sport. And that signified, it was almost like watching it, it goes up, locks out, and just feel the whole crowd kind of go, <sighs> right? And then everybody's chest gets bigger, and everyone goes, yeah, 
all right, motherfuckers, now yeah. we're here. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's how I felt, man. Like, I'll tell you what, man. It, I just knew I had it. Yeah. Like, I knew the moment. I just knew. Like, you hear these moments, and it's not like, okay, I'm not painting myself like a three for ten dollars is like the say all be all, but fuck you. It's my say all be all, you know? That's some people's deadlift. It's my yeah, yeah, right. It's my it's it's my destiny. Sure. And I speak like that. I can I'm not gonna dog it because I'm like legitimately really proud of that. Not only at the number because how good it went up, but because of the story, right? But I, I remember hearing stories of people like I just knew I was gonna get that. I'm like, man, like uh, on the press, I'm like Fuck, that's cool. Like I knew I was gonna get five, you know, five reps, or I knew I was gonna get nine hundred. I'm like, yeah. Ugh. You know, to me, it's always been like, well, it's gonna be a fight. I can, I can always answer. I can remember hearing myself. Yep. And I remember they loaded that shit three fifteen. I'm like, dude, this is mine. I knew it the day before. I knew it the week before. I knew it weeks before. I was like, <laughs> I, I felt like I knew it. I was like, and I've never, I've never had that feeling. I was like. So I came out of that, you know, despite me doing whatever, it's like that was probably the most amazing competitive moment because I felt like a true champion. Like I felt fucking bigger than life. <laughs> That's that was it. That was it. Like that's how I describe that moment. I can cheese about the three fifty I can have a whole podcast about that fucking long lift. But and as far as being a, a coach, um I've had some um I've had some pretty incredible moments of coaching. And it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to gauge just one, and I sure. don't want to it's anyone a, to feel. I know yeah, yeah, I know yeah. anyone to feel like everything is so individualistic because of the journeys, right? Sure. I have two. It's hard to pick one. It's two, <coughs> mainly because these people are very close to me, uh, but mainly because I know the journey behind these things, right? Right. I know the sacrifice, the commitment. One of them was Vanessa that goes to my gym. She's one of my made men. Made men in my gym means you earn a, a key to my gym, which is like a key to my, my my home. And they're also somebody that helps me. They go above and beyond to help me out for free. It's just out of loyalty to the gym. Sure. She had suffered an injury, and we had taken almost eight months of just recovering, whatever. And it was a it was a, the gen of last year, and we needed a certain number to make um, to make worlds. And seeing her those days of just like dragging her feet and being hurt and coming, I mean, she was a 300 pounds, 303 squatter at 148 pounds. Wow. And fuck, that's a lot, you know? Yeah. And they went from that to 95 pounds and the rebuild and the, like legitimately me going like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I'm, I'm trying my best. And we rebuild her and, you know, seeing her pick up that last, like hit that squad, hit that last deadlift and qualify. It was emotional because you, uh, coaching is personal, man. I don't, it's, uh, you just can't, especially when it's a, not online. It's a, it's a personal. Yeah, sure. So personal. So that was one of my greatest moments to see her happiness, like to see that, like that look that maybe you guys saw in the 315 log, but that I was a part of it. Like, I was sure. like, oh, you know, and I was like trying, obviously, I'm in front of everybody. I'm like, ugh, you're crying. I'm not crying. <laughs> um, and that was, that was, I'd say, very close second. And my first being uh, Vinny. Uh, 
and I know he's gonna fucking hate me saying this because he's like, you know, but I know he's probably you know smile when he hears he's this. Just, yeah, come on. He's like, yeah, forget about it. Bippity boppity. You know, saying that doesn't mean you can actually speak Italian. Mustache, yeah, right, Peter. You can't do that, Peter. And we went to Worlds, and I'll put this into a very short statement because I can really make this long. We have had an issue with his deadlift for two years. Two years of chipping away working on his deadlift. What was the issue? Um, it was hamstring weakness. Uh, you know, we had partly moved on to sumo finally. It was a, a biomechanic issue. There was a lot of like things falling apart. There was a weakness in balances. His back was doing a lot of the work. That being said, we get to Worlds and with little nuances of picking the right number at the right time having having his bench misloaded which i didn't notice which was one of my worst moments as a coach i didn't notice the, the bar was loaded to 140 so it ended up being like a 315 bench instead of a three two seventy five two eighty one 281 bench and they did that at worlds without me even i just you know you don't expect that right and it it almost fucked him and he still almost got the second you know the, the next approach but basically, he ended up pulling 536, don't quote me, to to just win by two and a half kilos to place top three at Worlds. After watching him literally rebuild his deadlift from 450, who, like uh, after he had like a five-something, it went backwards. Everything went backwards. His bench yeah. was okay, his squat was okay, but his deadlift went backwards. And he's one of these guys in the gym that puts in the fucking work and is discipline and gives that athlete mentality and to see that culminate at that moment like bro chills man like i can tell you this story right now and i get like emotional because we're (laughs) in that back i'm like look motherfucker whatever's on that bar you need to lift if you don't lift this we're not going home with it and he's just like just okay it wasn't like a oh what is no he's like all right and you just watch that lift go up like nothing and you look at those what you just stay there looking at those white lights and those three white lights come up and there's like you could feel years of work like coming together like <laughs> by two and a half kilos by switching yeah. the number and this guy needed to miss this and we needed to change the deadlift at the last minute and it needed to ch- it just needed to happen and it happened in Vegas on the road at with IP you know IPF judges and real shit and yeah. that was probably one of the best because it it encompassed everything it sure. encompassed coaching it encompassed strategy emotions discipline programming that connection like what you expect from a coach and what you expect from an athlete it was everything and it was in powerlifting where you know if, I don't know if everybody thinks like i just coached strong and powerlifting has been one of my first things i coach in and if i can say it was one of my best moments dude like i could write a fucking i was gonna write a whole article about it because it was so <laughs> perfect maybe you, you should know, I, you know i i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it maybe you should that'd be great uh, your your writing's come a long way. Oh man, thank you, dude. Like I've I've actually really thank you, by the way. <laughs> That's we'll see, okay, look, so writing is like my guitar playing. It's very Here we go. I Sing play, your song, Bard. I play guitar. So. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> at the at the Battle Axe gym. <laughs> um <laughs> it, it it makes me feel very vulnerable. Sure. Because um, I don't feel like I'm that good at it. And and I still need help with a lot of spelling. Shout out to Megs. Um, it's not my first language. That's my excuse. <laughs> but, same. Yeah, samesies. But uh, thank you, man. Like, it's been a lot of work, and I think that it's been, um, I think it's made me a better coach. 
and a better athlete because I've been able to articulate my feelings into writing and there's no going back. Mm. Like it's there. Like it's there. Look, it's there. Like you And how does that apply to coaching? I think because when you're a coach and and an athlete that you they both go hand in hand. Mm. You can't be really be respected or at least somewhat uh, seen as a good coach if your athletic life has been something that's just a lie and it's not genuine and it's not pure sure. or at least it's full of like you know hardships and obstacles if you see it, me as an athlete and I do write articles on coaching as well but let's just say I didn't you can see that at least as an athlete I've been trying to better myself that maybe I'm not the best but my work ethic is trying to search to be the best and trying to make up for my shitty mistakes and being human and getting emotional and getting upset and i'm like well that's that's not too far off from being a coach except as a coach you have to learn to internalize that and express what's valuable you can't if i'm very emotional at a lifter and i want to be really upset with them as an athlete i'd be like well fuck you i'm gonna fucking punch you as a coach (laughs) you'd be like well i have my own styles but i might be like i don't think this is the best fucking choice of words sure why don't we explore a different avenue and to learn to harness that emotion and to pinpoint what's necessary, um, I think comes, you know, as a coach, I think a lot of good coaches, if we're going to go back onto what makes a good coach, uh, I think the best coaches come from athletes who have had the hardest road, the most obstacles, the most mistakes, the sure. most injuries, per se, maybe, um, because it, it, it shows the athlete that has to overcome, and they never want their lifters to have to go through that. Right. I yeah, mean, that makes sense. Know, it's like having a parent that's been through some shit. Yeah. You know, they're typically a little bit harder, rough, you know, rough around the edges, but they're going to give you some life lessons, really, really like tough ones. Amen. As opposed to everything that has come Not this next them. generation, though. Yeah. They're all participation trophy parents. Oh, that's my trigger, people. Disgusting. Of course, I'm going to be in my trigger chair. <laughs> um, you want to... Uh, we got time for... Few more questions. Yeah, let's do a few more and then we'll close it. We got thirty to twenty minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nine thirty, right? Yeah. We're we're running on. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Don't we're, just gonna, we're just gonna keep the party going. <laughs> we're just gonna keep. We're just gonna keep going until the bottle of whiskey. Until comes out. yeah, and the well, but the thing is, we don't uh, we don't want to be charged anymore because sponsored that's, by Abelor, uh, kidding. Not kidding, but just kidding. Not to be confused with albacore. Albacore. Which is a great protein source. If you want to sponsor us, we like protein. Uh, in water, please. Thank you. <laughs> Chunk? Chunk, of course. Better be. That would have been the end of our friendship. Man, we would just love this podcast. Does somebody actually go out and get that whatever that is? Cat uh, food? Ugh. Who gets... First of all, who likes cats? First of all... <laughs> exactly. We can do a whole podcast. Literally... 16 people in the whole world just stop listening. Everybody <laughs> else I mean, listen, if, if, if you're not talking about, like, I don't know, King of the Jungle, I don't yeah, want to pet you. Exactly. If you're not enough to kill me with one swipe, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. I want to see you drag a man my size through a field. Are you a jaguar? <laughs> um, here's a question from MH, is it Milo? M-H-I underscore low. Milo? Milo? Oh, yeah. Milo. It's uh, Mike. Oh, all right. Hey, Mike. So for some, if not many, 
people who have jobs as operators, a.k.a. cops, firemen, military, what is an optimal training program? There's more. Should it incorporate more of a specific regiment, for example, strongman or CrossFit, as it seems to be a favorite amongst the community? And then a follow-up question. But let's go to that, and then okay. we'll come back yeah. to this question. I know what the next question is, <laughs> and I might just have a whole fucking hour of it. <laughs> uh, first question. Um, so, so by operators, I mean... So I do train some operators. I've had the luxury of training some special forces, SEAL Team 1, EOD. By operators, I mean people like police what officers. What a resume. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, and also... Police officers, I call it, I just really refer to them as operators, and even firefighters in the sense that they're putting their, their bodies on the line to, to serve a purpose for the greater good. Obviously, there's a, a big level, a big difference, but still. Sure. Um, what do I think is the most beneficial way of training? I feel that strongman training or strongman type or style of training is better for everyone, period, all the time. Let me be. Let me go on record and say that if you're not training strongman, and I'll say this, I've said this a million times. You're fucking, you're wrong. Um, even, st- I remember that when Stu McGill said it. He's like, the most beneficial way of training is strongman. It's just you have to moderate the weight, obviously. But look, sure. if you look at, um, it's, lo- you know, throwing, turning, carrying, uh, lifting, loading. Like overhead loading. I mean, it's it's basic fundamental movements in, in, the, human, in the human body. And it's something that's negated. Here's an example. If you're an operator, if you're on the front battle, if you're Marines, Army, Special Forces, whatever, you're not going to run 13 miles. You're not going to do an hour of cardiovascular experience. You're going to do small bursts of high, uh, of high energy movements with moving weight, whether you have gear on or you're carrying one of your buddies out of battle. If you carry your friend out of battle who's fully geared between 180 to 220 pounds, the average male weighs anywhere between that, whether you're on the battlefield or not. Allegedly, although you're not a real man to your 200. Uh, (laughs) Fact. 105 kilo life, bro. (laughs) So you're a firefighter and somebody, same thing. There's there's an accident and you need to get somebody out of the car and it's a grown human being. No amount of sub-maximal weights for reps for time, 135-pound deadlifts for maximal weights, I'm not saying don't do CrossFit. I'm just saying you need to add on heavy weights, moving weights in these natural sure. movements. To well, make the question it is, what is the best? In my opinion, it should be a mix of a fundamental of powerlifting, uni, bi- uni and bilateral work, meaning like single leg RDLs and stuff like that, and then strongman. Mm. So if you're not moving odd objects, sandbags, yokes, farmers, kegs, stones, which create a neural response, to grabbing something that is not meant to be picked up easily, like a human body or pieces of cars or your fucking dead body. Uh, it's a true statement. You create much more neural response and strength and functional, functional meaning it has to make sense to your life. Kettlebell swinging, 20 reps and doing butterfly pull-ups, although it makes you very pretty and it makes you functional, is not necessarily the same amount of neural response that's going to pick a fucking body from a burning vehicle. Sure. No, a 250-pound sandbag being picked up with intensity and a high level of focus for 50 feet for time is going to save a fucking life. It's going to save your life or even, unfortunately, even the person next to you, especially if you're a police officer. Your buddy sure. gets shot. 
if you can't deadlift 405, it's going to be really hard to pick up 200 or something pounds of just dead weight. Fact. It's a fact. Yeah. No level of fitness or abs is going to expose that. So if you're an operator, if you're somebody that's listening to this and you're in the fire department or you're in the military and you're not diving into odd object carrying, strongman, powerlifting, some sort of strength training, encompassing, you can do all the crossfit you want, that's fine. But this needs to be added on. Absolutely. If it was up to me, like when I do my operator training, mm-hmm. it's basically, you know, some strength movements, some like little things here and there, but it always ends with strongman, especially at the end of the week. Because you need to be moving these odd objects to create said neural response that will save a life. That's a fucking fact. And I listen, I've been exposed to the high level training of these motherfuckers in, over there fighting overseas in the special team and all that. And it's funny, I've been doing this for almost three years and now it's starting to look a lot like what I've been writing years ago. This yeah. is a fucking truth. Even with D loads, dude. Wow. I'm like, motherfuckers, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I should be getting paid for this. True story, man. A hundred percent truth. And they're all doing that. If you're carrying yeah. somebody over your shoulder by carrying an ammo box, let the fucking farmers carry with sandbag carry, dude. Yeah. It is not a burpee. Well, the thing is too, is if you look at how life was, if you didn't farmers carry the water back home, you didn't have water. Absolutely. <laughs> if you weren't loading Right, and here's a, here's a major part too, and I'm gonna just say this last part, and we can move on. Look at your lifestyle, right? If you're an operator, police officer, fire department, whatever, your life is basically very stressful. You're sitting down, your body's under load consistently, meaning mm-hmm. you have to do the proper hygiene, proper mechanics, and 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 strengthen your body to reduce or to complement the damage you're already experiencing. Meaning, if you're going to do a vast amount of running and reps. You're going only to shorten your lifespan in your job. Like, I'm not saying, okay, you need to load a 400-pound stone. No way, because you're a fucking police officer. Right. You don't need to do that. Just like you don't need to finish a Chipperwad or run Murph under a certain amount of time. You don't need to run a (laughs) four-minute mile. But you most certainly need to run a certain amount of something to make you fast to chase somebody. You most certainly need to lift something to make you just strong enough to do your job and the only things that I, I believe even Matt Winning exposes this stuff is you do in the gym to maximize what's going to make you a better operator which is typically strongman training which is at a, at a moderate weight extremely beneficial and powerlifting and obviously your rehab shit one arm rows sure. single leg RDLs and that, that goes without saying so yeah man I think it's, a, it's encompassing everything I don't believe that <laughs> I'm not shitting on CrossFit at all. I, I'm just saying, if that's all you do, it's like saying that all you do is strongman and you're going to be a better cop. Not necessarily, unless, even though strongman encompasses a lot of things, but you shouldn't be doing a 700-pound yoke if you're trying to fight crime, basically. Because <laughs> yeah. your back's not... You're not. By, yeah. by the time you're in your 42 years old and you're sitting in your cop car, you're fucked. Yeah. Right? But you can do a five, 600-pound yoke consistently strong and fast. That might be what saves... You put your buddy on your back and walk out on the line of fire and save his fucking life. Sure. So, I mean, that's how I would do that. I, mean, I like it. So. And it's no mistake that CrossFit, uh, some of the most successful CrossFits in South Florida have strongman implements. Fact. And it's no mistake that I think last year, the year before, 
CrossFit started adding strongman well, implements into the games. Four years ago with Rob Orlando. In fact, Guadalupe has a strongman CrossFit event. Because this fucking makes sense. If you want to be the world's fittest, you better be good at strongman oh. too. Oh, so good. How they do the yoke? They're good at it too, bastards. Yeah, they're just. Ridiculous. It's all that damn Ramwad. Yeah. Stupid idiots. <laughs> Who the fuck takes care of their body? This is a cool one too. The big bad bat. Mm. As in Batman. As in the Batman. Oh, head. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Balancing self defense training with powerlifting and strongman is it possible? And I, I know this kind of ties in, mm-hmm. but I'd like to know the self defense side. And which discipline would be guessed best geared for this? I'm gonna go on a limb and say strongman mm-hmm. would be the best. Uh but I'd like to hear your perspective, especially when it comes to self-defense, because, again, um, you have a fighter's background. Yeah, I would say the best, again, I'd say strongman is the best. And if I could pick a martial arts to reflect it, obviously you can't go wrong with Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I'm a Thai fighter. I'm always going to be a Thai fighter. I'm always going to be a striker, so I'm always going to put my art before others. Um but I, I, you can just encompass MMA if you want. You can just say, sure. I go to an MMA school. So if you're in MMA as far as self-defense and you're doing you know, stand-up, wrestling, whatever, I feel like the, this is why I went into Strongman in the first place because I feel like Strongman reflected this perfectly. The only other strength sport that I feel that can really bring value to that is a moderate level, and I mean moderate because you're not trying to kill yourself or be the national champion, is Strongman because Strongman encompasses... The basic fundamentals of powerlifting. It encompasses the amount of accessory work in bodybuilding, which you you build your base and you have your blood flow and joint maintenance. Sure. And then you have your aerobics because picking up a sandbag is the closest thing to picking up a human being. The grip of the farmer uh, is what's going to get you in the ring, either holding a gi or holding your opponent's uh, body down. And I know firsthand because it helped me in jiu-jitsu, but it also made me a lot better rugby player. Um, which is basically MMA with a football or a ball. <laughs> um, and that's, that's if I was to answer that, and to incorporate them both, here's what I'm going to tell you, Dan. Like I said in everything, what is your goal? Right. Are you trying to be good at two things? Because you're not going to be great. And that's fine. If you want to be good at both MMA and a good strongman, uh, then yes, you can do both. But you cannot be great at one or the other. Sure. Uh, you won't be. So pick and choose your poison. If you really want to become well-rounded and you're just you're enjoying this part of your life because you enjoy being fit and looking good and kicking ass, that's great. But don't set any expectations above that because sure. the person you're trying to beat on the on the mat or you're trying to beat on the competitive battlefield and strongman is not doing two things. Right. They live and breathe one thing, and that makes them much more dangerous in competition. Now on the streets, it's different. Sure. You know, if you're just obviously strong man and MMA can make you a very dangerous human being, but set those standards right. You you can do both, but understand that eventually one of those sports will come knocking on your body. Hey mm-hmm. man, like your your spine, your your bicep, your elbows, your knees, um, and eventually you're gonna have to pick and choose your poison to a certain extent. Because sure. most people that live that life um, are very genetically gifted, but fucking wrecked. <laughs> not everyone can live with that. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone lives with that wrecked life, man. It's, right. It's, everyone thinks they can. Everyone has that concept like, yeah, bro, 
but they tweak one muscle and they're like, oh, boy, I'm gonna take a <laughs> with the quiver lip. They're like, oh man, I gotta really take a break from this sport so I can really focus on what's important. I'm like, Shut up, bro. You tweak the hamstring, man. Kill yourself. Uh, that, um, that, I'd also like to make a special shout out to hip drive in a strong man because yes. I think that applies very much to uh, MMA oh. and 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 it's not a big part for me but maybe satisfying your wound I've never done it but I've read about it well satisfying movement in general is a myth <laughs> so yeah. all you can do is satisfy yourself within 60 seconds and hope that everything just holds on oh man training for strong man once seconds, again bro I mean seriously <laughs> and also triple extension and thoracic extension which is great for fighting but Again, science. I, I, I can't emphasize the, the value of doing strongman for any type of anything. So, if you are not training strongman as an athlete in general, you are making a tragic mistake. Oh, I say this literally every podcast. <laughs> oh, and also, Mike's second question. Who do I hate more, Deadpool, Deadpool <laughs> or people that put the fucking toilet paper backwards? I'll tell you what. Oh. The only people putting toilet paper backwards are Deadpool fans. And oh. both of you can die in a fucking fire because that's the problem with America. Backwards toilet paper and Deadpool. Do you hate Deadpool because Ryan Reynolds is handsome? No. Although I like that he's handsome. It makes things a lot easier. Yeah. I hate that he made Deadpool into Ryan Reynolds. I can really do a whole episode on this. It makes uh. me sick. That actually would be yeah. fun. Yeah. They, I mean, uh, that might be like a good it's, like it's a complete copy of Deathstroke, but <sighs> imagine being a copy of something. Wouldn't well, listen, I mean, Marvel and DC have been doing that for a long time. Cool. Let's... Where did Wolverine come from? Nobody. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wolverine is a standalone. I mean, God, you are just a grumpy old Logan. Oh, it is. I'm so sick of that guy. Ridiculous. I can literally do a whole podcast. I was ready for that, and I saw it. I'm like. Backwards toilet paper and Deadpool fans. Same fire. Oh, I will let you know I'm a Deadpool fan, and that's not true because I will punch someone in the face. <laughs> they do they do that backwards listen, I will set your house on fire. What you the piece of shit? Who does that? I don't know. It was you know my own do? gym, bro. Listen, let me tell you. Those are the same people that wipe it back to front. Ugh, exactly yeah. right. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, you get some infection or something. Yeah, Ugh. which... I mean, come on. It's Miami. Everyone's yeah. had an infection. I but mean, duh. You don't give it to yourself. <laughs> exactly. You get it from some random regretful night. And then you hide it from your friends because you're like, right? You guys don't get this, right? Right? <laughs> it doesn't burn when you pee, right? Everybody. Guys? Yeah. That's never happened. You mean that's not happened to you currently now, guys? Weird. <laughs> what cream would you use asking for a friend? You guys are, you guys are lame. All right. We get that time for one last one and then. We gotta shut it down. Yeah, I think uh, one or two. Man, there's been some good ones here too. For real, and it's uh, it's been a real emotional. You know, I guess we gotta go with the big dog, right? Alan, the Iron House says, "Do you feel the dark side will take control again, and the Force will fail?" Um, Or did I read that wrong? Nope, that's the Force will fall. The Force will fall. Thank you, whiskey. Um, hmm. I don't think the dark side will ever take. Even though I'm a dark side fan, I love Star Wars. I am a nerd. Yes, I am. Mm. That's why I lift heavy so I can beat people up. <laughs> um, honestly, I don't think. First of all, the new Star Wars movies suck, except for the side ones like Rogue and Solo, which Rogue I think are amazing. So good. Amazing. No, I don't think the the dark side will ever take over. It's always going to be 
stupid Jedi. And I do I believe in the force? Uh, <laughs> did you just feel that? Yeah, I moved the whiskey bottle with my mind. So mm. next question, basically, that was the easiest <laughs> thing I've ever done. Well, you know, in the books, the the eventual story is that the dark side wins. So I hear. I also hear the books are fucking awesome. Yeah, um, but who's got time to read when you can look at pictures? Well, that and moving pictures like the YouTube. Oh, uh, like you know some fan made stuff. I sent some, you. Did you the dark the dark one was really good. Wow. Yeah. Actually, mad. I feel like that's unfair that we could pay to go see a movie that ends up being a total piece of shit. But then some guy, three guys, some nerds, some nerds get together yeah. and make a movie that I would watch in theaters. Some nerds maybe doing a podcast together, mm. do this and make this new Darth Maul video <laughs> with Wolverine in it. <laughs> They're like, and uh, Deadpool dies. Oh, he uh, can't die. Yeah, no, he can. He can die. We'll figure it out. Yeah. He tries to die. <laughs> See, I can relate to Deadpool because he's only dead on the Don't. inside. <laughs> You're going to set me off, man. You're going to uh, trigger me. I'm going to get another drink because you're pissing me off. I'll man. hug you to quit. Okay, that might work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to read our last one, Johnny, and then we're going to say our closing. Uh, we're going to fuck it up. I think we got most of them, right? Yeah, I think we nailed a bunch of them, actually. And the only ones we <laughs> we didn't do is the ones I sent you. Which some of those are fucking good. Uh, you want to pick one of those? I feel like mine should just be a whole episode because I'm yeah I'm probably your best friend in the whole wide world. So yeah, it's just two of us now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. we, we had a third guy, but he moved away. So we'll, we'll miss him. Yeah, I feel nothing. Let's see. Oh, Maybe really we'll do one of mine. Yeah, let's do one of yours. And I think we've. I'm not saying my questions are great. But they definitely don't suck. But they're they're great. Oh man, you just know how to butter me up. Thanksgiving dinner, boy. <laughs> what a great podcast! I think we really nailed a good a good sesh. You know, we got a lot of good responses from the. I want to thank everybody on the live stream. I think that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry if I didn't get to some of your questions, but I think we killed it. So what do we got, Johnny? Man, there's. You know what? I think I'm gonna hand this to you, and I'm gonna let you pick. Okay, deal. Because I think that's fair. Because these are these are by me. So. Okay. Oh man, let's see. Let's see. Hmm. I remember we wanna we wanna sail off on the ship. Not because we're gonna go drink more. But we should. <laughs> I'm hit. Okay, I got. I like. I like the first one actually. Yeah, I do too. And the first question reads. This is Johnny Banks asking, as you get older as an athlete, what do you find more difficult, the physical recovery or the mental recovery, and why? And that's a great question. Oh, I smoked you guys. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. And just one Brought the heat. to smash 20. <laughs> <laughs> 20 randos. Well, I'll tell you what. I think when I, was a, when I wore a younger man's clothes, uh, to quote the piano man, I think the hardest part was to recover physically because I felt that I was mentally indestructible. Mm. I was young. I had not experienced much hardships both in life and both in sport. Early 20s, you know, not most people. Some people, you know, have a rough life. But I experienced some hardships, but not extremes. 
so my mentality was always relatively mm, almost ignorant to the fact of where hardships were. So I felt like I was indestructible. So sure. resting physically, being hurt was like the worst thing in the world. I would tweak something. Oh. I'm like, oh my God, I can't train. It was only because I had not developed the same uh, capacity. Even though, you know, you're a tough kid, but whatever. As you get older and you're tested, those injuries physically in life start to chip away at your mindset. They chip away at your courage. They chip away at your resolve. They chip away at your indestructibility. They, you feel now that you are destructible. You feel fear. You feel uh, that there is a, uh, an end now. You know, you are in your 30s and your 40s. This is, there is something. There is that finish line. You can almost see it. It's like you're looking down a hill and around the bend. You're like, yeah, but it's there. But when you were 20, there everything was flat. You were weren't even downhill. up the hill yet. Yeah, were, <laughs> everything was downhill. You were going easy. Yeah. Um, and as I get older, I realize that the mental recovery is is absolutely um, reflecting that it's the hardest thing for me. Sure. Physically, no. Uh, I've torn a bicep. I fucked my so many parts of my body up and. It's almost like, a, okay, well, it's just time to troubleshoot. I can take this mentally to yeah. deal with that. Mentally dealing with that is much harder. Maybe because, um, of course, there is another side to it. You do get stronger, obviously, but you're older now, and it, it, it hits you harder because you sure. feel like one injury is the end sometimes. Yeah, like you're mm-hmm. that that much closer to it being over. Correct, and instead of being 10 years now, you're like, is it eight? Mm-hmm. Is it next year? Is it next month? And with my particular injuries, you know, I feel like sciatic issues coming up sometimes, and I'm like, is it is it over now? Was that the last comp? Yeah. Uh, when ten years ago, I didn't even know what I was like. <laughs> it's never gonna be done. Don't yeah. look a fuck with me. I'll be doing this. Uh, age is a number, you know. Um, so currently, I would say it's, it's it's mentally, and it's 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 something I'm proud of. I like to face these obstacles, and again, like I said earlier. Dealing with these issues of being wrong and, and, and being good at it and being good at dealing with adversity is my only true, maybe work that strength, if you can call it that. But as I get older, I think that that mental battle is very hard for me. And I get it, man. Like, I've been through some shit and all of us have been through shit. Sometimes I wonder if it, okay, it does make me stronger, but it also makes me more vulnerable. You right. know, what things would never sadden me now saddening me like times 10 because I have felt loss because I have felt injury because I have felt uh, death and I have seen failure and I have seen you know true pain and now it's like you open that wound and you can't fucking close it you just deal with it when I was younger I didn't have to deal with that and now I'm older and when I get exposed to the same thing yes I can react to it better but the significance is is bigger because it's happening again right sure you get hurt again and you're you know you're you're tougher physically you're like oh i can take it they're like fuck again (laughs) you know you tweak an ankle at 35 you're like fuck man like can i just wake up not beat up man you know fuck when you're young you're like it's just a fucking ankle all right let's go fucking let's go crazy let's go out i just wrap it up no big deal you know so it's funny that you mentioned that because um Recently, well, not recently, uh, a couple years ago, we lost my stepfather. And I have two young brothers, teenagers. And the conversation was always, they seem so 
unaffected. They seem so unaffected. That was a conversation I had a lot. And I, I'll get to my point of how this applies to both. So I would always challenge the people that would harder on them because I would say they have not seen the magnitude of something truly being over. Right? Their days in school are just the summer and then school's back. The breakup is just to the next girlfriend and then the breakup is over. Right. They've never felt anything truly be the end. And as you've grown and gotten older as a man and as an athlete, you've seen things end. And that, I think, is where it really starts to come around to the mental aspect. Absolutely. And um, I mean, to tie it all together, um, and I think it's important to, to piece things together at the end, is everything does end. And I've said this a million times. It every, everything does end. And it's this bittersweet dance with this concept and this philosophy that brings virtue uh, and true passion to what you do. And it ties into what it takes to be an athlete and what it takes to be a fucking coach. And if you notice, man, most of these questions are not asking you about programming and percentages because those those questions are archaic now, right? Yeah. But the search for the deep level of psychological understanding and depth and call it what you will, consciousness or spirituality of the athlete, of the warrior is, is even more, we need more now than ever because it's harder to find. Sure. And the only way you experience these things is by experiencing things ending. You have seen careers end. You have seen life's, life's lives end. You have seen things end consistently. And that should adhere you and that should glue you onto the path of what you really love. If coaching is what you do, if somebody calls you a fucking coach, then you have to be tenacious about it. You have to be professional because you know that that's going to end too. And if you're an athlete or both, then you have to pursue them both with that same tenacity. What makes a good coach? I'll tell you what. Somebody that knows that it's not forever. What makes a good fucking athlete? Somebody that knows it ends, man. And it's not just a training session. It's your last fucking training session. It's your last lift. That log lift I did is because I thought that that's it. This is it. This is my last log lift of my life because it took me two years to get one. And maybe it's done, dude. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. And when I sit down and, and I drink the fucking beer and I get drunk and I'm like, fuck it, man. Maybe this is my last go to. And it's a it's a vicious cycle. But understanding that, whether it's like, what should you expect of your coach? What is legacy? What makes a great athlete? What would you have done differently? I don't know, man, because those moments are lived with that, with that philosophy. This is my last one. And I can't. I can't change that. I, I am the man that I am because of that, both good and bad. Um, but I, I would say that that's what builds the mentality of a true athlete, of a true warrior, is understanding that things end. And that needs to be absolutely inside your fucking being. And it makes you appreciative on a athletic level and on a personal level with your friends, with your family, with your loved ones, your significant others. And if that philosophy transcends into your training, and I know, I'm telling you, you guys are asking me these questions that don't include percentages and what undulating periodization is and what circumaxes are because we are all searching for this answer. And this is the philosophy we have printed on our shirts. 
We have it imprinted in the souls and the spirit of people at the Battle Axe Gym and those closest to us. So if you're asking me what makes a great athlete, what makes a great coach, what makes a warrior, is understanding that there is the finish line down the hill and around the corner. And you need to pursue life tenaciously along the way with passion, with professionalism, with discipline. And along that way, you'll find consistency. You'll find perseverance and you'll find your fucking courage. So this is MDLP from the Battle Axe podcast with my co-host Johnny. <laughs> Oof. Telling you guys, stay the course because everything ends. <laughs>